0: invite you to take your Bible out and turn to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. We're starting a new study this morning, working our way through the book of Galatians. As we like to do, we, we study through Scripture, through books of Scripture. Sometimes it's not even an entire book. Maybe it's a, a section, even at different times, perhaps a, a theme centered around a certain theme in the Scripture, but always systematically studying Scripture because Here's my foundational belief. I tell you this again and again and again, but, and I'm going to continue to remind you of this, that at the end of the day, I am convinced that the only thing that has the power to change us, to transform us, is the work of God. And although I am on my knees about the word that I deliver to you, although I labor over the... the passages that we would study and and the sermons that I prepare, and and I work diligently to try to really deliver the the word that God has to speak through me to you, I'm convinced of this. At the end of the day, my words fall incredibly short of having the power to change your life, but the word of God has the power through the working of the Holy Spirit and the transformation that takes place in our lives as he, as he takes his word and opens it up. It has the power to change us, to transform us from the inside out. And so we want to study his word. We want to know his word because we believe there's power in the word of God. And, uh, and the only power I have to offer to you is just simply to point you to the word of God. And that's exactly what I seek to do each and every Sunday when I stand here in the pulpit all of our pastors, all of our staff do the same in the different ways that we lead, in the ways that we that we minister, in, in, in the different avenues in the life of our church where our leadership is, is is exerted, I guess you would say, through our influence. We seek to bring everything back to the truth of God's word because it has the power to transform. And my sincere prayer is that as we get into this this morning, understanding the heart of the gospel, that it would truly do that. It would transform us. So we're going to call this series, Studying Through the book of Galatians, we're going to name the series itself, The Heart of the Gospel. Because in the book of Galatians, there are several key themes. There are themes of truth versus lies, law versus grace. There are these themes, uh, it's sort of these, uh, these dichotomies that we see. And one of those themes that is prominent throughout the book of Galatians is the idea of the true gospel versus a false gospel. And so even as we work our way, even in the text this morning, which is really sort of the introduction to the book of Galatians and all that Paul has to say and teach through that, we're going to see this dichotomy between a false gospel and the true gospel that Paul is going to urge us that we would trust in the, in the true gospel, believing in, directing our lives to be centered around the, the heart of the gospel. And so I want to read in Galatians chapter 1 this morning, the first 10 verses Paul's introduction to the churches in Galatia. After that, after I read this, then I want to give just some background, some understanding that will help to shape our our study of Galatians. Read with me, if you would, in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Galatians. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. "'Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, "'who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, "'according to the will of our God and Father, "'to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.'" I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so in his letter to the Galatians, Paul is going to go toe-to-toe, head-to-head, if you will, with these lies that were being spread amongst the believers in the churches in Galatia. Now, Galatia itself is, is referring to an entire region, an entire province under Roman rule and Roman authority. And there are differing views, differing opinions about exactly where the Galatia that Paul is referencing in the book of Galatians is located. And so I have a map here that will show you the the two possible locations. The area that you see in this map that is uh, in between Asia and Cappadocia, that is modern-day Turkey. That is the modern-day country of Turkey. Uh, You find along the north there is a land bridge of sorts that connects Turkey to modern day Greece and then also to the north is the black sea to the south we see the mediterranean sea and along this land bridge that connects turkey and modern day greece we find there the city of istanbul which is where uh, which is where the, the the capital of the the roman empire was later relocated to uh, Istanbul, which in those days was known as Constantinople because Constantine the emperor built up the city to make it the new capital of Rome. And, and so th- this was a strategic and important area in world history, in, in world geography, much as it is today, but all the more in this day and time because this bridge of land between what we would call today Europe and what is now the, the Middle East was the bridge, the link for the Roman Empire that, that held things together, and so all throughout this, this region of modern day Turkey, you find key influential cities. and in fact, many of those same cities find their name in the letters that Paul has addressed to the churches that preside there. And so uh, now, if we were to extend over into Greece, if we were to include Turkey and extend even over into Greece, you're going to find cities like, uh, you're going to find cities like Corinth. Philippi, uh, Ephesus, these these key centers, uh, Laodicea, if we were to go into the the first book, uh, the first rather few chapters in the book of Revelation and study the seven letters to the seven churches, we find key cities of key influential areas and all of these lied along lay along these these trade routes that existed that linked and held together the Roman government. Now, Galatia refers to a, a group of people. There are two theories. theres Is this referring to the northern area or the southern area? You can see that on the map. The northern area is along a high plateaued area that refers to the Galatians who were a more of an ethnic people group. And so, along this area, the the Galatians that resided in that area were ethnically they were a a people, a people group is what we would call them today. They were descendant from the Gauls of Western Europe who had migrated into this area. But by the time that Paul is on the scene, Galatia had become more than just a a particular area and a particular people group. It had become the, the name given to this entire province, this region, which spread from the north all the way to the south, known as Galatia. And in fact, As you read through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, 15, 16, we find along Paul's first missionary journey that he travels to many of the cities along these trade routes that are located along the southern region. And so, in my own mind, for that reason, uh, I I find the arguments about the, the, the southern group, the southern territory, that that's who Paul was writing. I find that to be more convincing. There's no way for us to know, certainly. Paul didn't say... Uh, anything more specific here than that he was writing to the Galatians, but there are key circumstantial things. Now, what does all of that mean? What, b- besides the fact that it's just interesting and it's a little bit of history, so what, right? I mean, what does all of that really mean? Well, depending on which group of people we think that Paul is writing to, has a lot to do with when we would date this particular letter, the letter to the Galatians. And so if you follow, along the lines of this southern group that Paul was referring to, these groups in the south where these other cities like Lystra and and Iconium and other cities are located, then what what we would do is we would date the writing of the book of Galatians in the late 40s, 48, 49, which is also key because in the year 49, there was a council that was held in Jerusalem, and one of the primary things that happened at this council of Jerusalem, held in, in 80, late A.D. 80 48, early A.D. 49, which we find that as well in Acts chapter 15, is they dealt with this issue of what they called Judaizers. Judaizers were a group of people who were converting to Christian faith but still trying to hold on to the Old Testament law. And so essentially, they created these, these arguments and these practices that said, if you were to come to faith in Christ, now not only did you need to have faith in Christ, but you also needed to observe the Old Testament Jewish law, which means that you had to keep the Jewish customs, the Jewish practices. You Men would need to be circumcised. They would need to follow the sacrificial system and, and the different laws. And that was important for many different reasons, but most importantly, that, that shows us that as people were coming to faith in Christ, and they were wrestling through this, this new faith, which really at this point in time, it was still very much a, a brand new faith, that it points us to the fact that are we going to trust in grace alone, or are we going to trust in grace plus our works, plus what we bring? To, is it faith in Christ alone, through, through his work in saving us received as his gift of grace over us, or is it all of that plus the law that we now have to follow in order to please him, in order for him to be satisfied with our lives? And so one of the things that the early church dealt with, one of the problems that it wrestled with and then answered in this first church council in Jerusalem in and around the year A.D. 49 was this issue, and, and they decided that it was faith in Christ alone plus nothing else that would save. Now, they decided that on the basis of the gospel that was being preached that had been delivered from Jesus to his disciples and then handed down through the work of the disciples. And the book of Acts tells this whole story of how these things unfolded and how these things took place. None of this happened in a vacuum. All of this happened in in the open. All of these are historical events that are well documented, both in Scripture and in extra Scripture uh, accounts as well. Accounts from historians outside of of the New Testament Scripture that detail these events that are happening in and around the, the time of the first century. But all of that brings us into the very heart of the issue that was happening in these churches in Galatia, which wasn't just happening in Galatia But what was happening in Galatia and the reason for which Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians in the first place was to take on this issue. And so it's believed that sometime, again, if you... If you address the letter to the group in the south and you follow this particular timeline, it's believed that sometime in and around the year A.D. 48 or 49, likely in A.D. 48, because there's no mention in Galatia of the council in Jerusalem, which it seems likely that if that council had happened, and Paul, who was there, would have said something about, well, you know that we we held this council and this is the decision of the, the entire church that this is what we believe. Don't let anybody else... Try to convince you of something else, but Paul doesn't mention that, so it, it, it's sort of an argument from silence. But it, it's believed that that means that the time that we ought to date the letter is sometime before the writing, or rather, the, the uh, council in Jerusalem after Paul's first missionary journey. What does all of that have to do with the way that we interpret the book to the Galatians? Well, not a lot, because whether we, whether you understand and know all of that or whether you don't, still the the foundational truth is there. But those become important elements that guide us in the process of interpreting and understanding that when Paul says something like, this is not the gospel that was given to be my man but the gospel that came to me through the revelation of Jesus himself, that that's trustworthy and that it's reliable because Paul's not relying on the, the authority of someone else or the authority of a church council to give him direction. He's relying on the, the re- revealed word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, and that authority that came on him through his appointment through the Holy Spirit to go and preach this gospel, this good news. All of that is important because it means that what Paul is going to say has authority. It's trustworthy. It can, be, it can be trusted in. It can be relied upon. And it's, it's not just Paul's word, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit through Paul delivering this message. And that is essential. That is absolutely essential that we understand that this is God who is speaking this word of truth through Paul, who was his instrument, to his people, that they would trust in grace alone for their salvation. So as we look at this passage and this introduction to the book of Galatians today, I want us to see several things Uh, you can follow along in, in the notes as we go through this, pointing us to the heart of the gospel that Paul is talking about. The first thing that, that I want us to see is that, uh, that we need to recognize the lies that were being presented. And so Paul begins by making a case that, that the Galatians would recognize these lies that were being spread among them. He, he says to them that I'm astonished, this is verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now there were many in this day who were distorting the gospel. There were many who were trying to add to the gospel the the works of the law or or works done in an effort to earn righteousness or earn their salvation. And Paul is writing to them and he's saying to to these, these believers in the church, that is not the gospel that we preach to you. Similarly today, we, could, we can identify in, in our day and time because we live in a day when many preach a false gospel. There are, there are all kinds of ways that this bears itself out in, in our world and our culture today, but there are many today guilty of preaching a, a false gospel There there is only one true gospel, Paul says to the Galatians. There are some who would try to distort that, some who would try to bother you, but notice that he says not that there even is another gospel. There's only one gospel. The word gospel, of course, is the good news. And that good news is that our hope is built on the righteous work of Christ who gave himself up for us on the cross, who offered himself as a sacrifice to take our place, who was resurrected from the grave, thus conquering sin and death, and now is able to forgive, to pardon and cleanse us from our sin when we place our faith in him and him alone. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus gave to his disciples, that, the, that Jesus himself delivered to Paul in, uh, in Acts. We see that on the road to Damascus as Paul was, was confronted by Jesus and converted there on the road to Damascus. And it's the same truth that we believe in today. There are many today who would distort the gospel for their own gain, they would try to twist the gospel in some way for their their own gain. Preachers who preach a gospel that points toward our goodness, that points toward our faithfulness, that would point toward how much money you would give or whether you follow a certain set of rules that they want to dis- they want to prescribe for you, a set of rules that they want to give you. But listen, if you if you were to ask yourself the question, well, how do I know am, am I believing in in the gospel or am I believing in a lie? You can always come back to this fundamental idea, okay? False gospels always center around works rather than grace. A false gospel always is centered around the idea of what you have to do in order to please God. It's always centered around this idea that somehow you need to, you need to, Follow a certain set of rules or a certain set of customs, or you've got to act in a certain way, or you've got it's always centered around the idea of what you do and your works. And it's natural that we believe that because the idea to any of us that God would just wash away our sin simply because of his love and his grace seems really difficult to swallow because sometimes we think, Lord, you you don't know the things I've done, although in reality, of course, we understand that he does know, but we think, Lord, I've done all of these things and my heart is wicked. And, and the, the reality is that for many, many, many who have come to Christ, they wrestle with the idea that God would just simply wash all of that away. And so we want to add something to it. We want to add religion or law or, or things that we've done. You remember a few weeks ago in our study of the prodigal son? This is the younger brother type of lostness. If you weren't here, then you'll have to go back and listen to our podcast on our website to understand what I'm talking about there. Or you can read Tim Keller's great book called Prodigal God, which will walk you through that as well. But this is the, the younger brother type of lostness, which says, God, I've done all of these things. How could you ever possibly love me? see, there's another kind of rebellion against God as well that we call the older brother lostness, which essentially says, God, I've done everything right. I've done everything that a person should do. I've kept the law. I've followed the rules. I've, I've, been, I've been the good, the, the older brother. I've been the good one. I've done everything the way that I should do. And we saw that that's its own form of rebellion and sinfulness as well because all of the emphasis is placed on us and our works and our goodness, like the rich young man who came to Jesus asking Good teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you follow the law. And he says, I've done this from my childhood. And Jesus' response was, you're right in saying that you have. Now go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the, the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had many possessions. The, the older brother type of lostness looks to our works, our goodness, our righteousness, False gospel always would point us to works in some way. Either the works that we've done that we think there's no way God could forgive them or the works that we've done that we think, well, absolutely, God should take me. In either instance, it's pointing us toward ourselves and not toward faith in Christ alone. But the gospel, the the true gospel, always leads us to know God's grace and his peace. Notice in his address to The church, Paul writes in verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Grace and peace, he says. And then what does he do? In a sentence, he gives us the gospel. Grace to you and peace from the gospel. Why? Because the gospel always points us toward God's grace and his peace in our lives. False gospel points us toward our works. Whether it be the works that we've done that we think there's no way God could forgive or the works that we've done that we think God should take me, I'm one of the good ones, right? And either way, the false gospel points us to our works but the true gospel is built around, centered upon God's grace and his peace. And so we need to believe The gospel, in order to do that, we've got to recognize the lies. Now, quickly, I want to walk through the gospel for you. And I, I try to do this regularly. Several times a year, I try to revisit the gospel. And any time I give you the gospel, I do it following this particular simple outline. I'm going to give it to you again. And the reason I do that is because I, I think we need to be a church that knows the gospel, that we are convinced of its power and its work. But more than that, that we know and can articulate the gospel. And so simply the gospel is this. First of all, it's understanding his position. His position, that God is holy and that he is just. And as a holy and just God, he will have nothing to do with sin, that that sin deserves his wrath and his punishment. His position is that God is holy and just. We also understand, secondly, my condition, that I've sinned, that I have rebelled against God. Either be it through As we've already pointed out, the works that I've done that I think God wouldn't forgive or even if it's in my own self-righteousness that I think he ought to take me, he ought to pick me to be on his team, I've rebelled against God and my heart is wicked. So his position, my condition, next we see his provision, that in order to save us in our sin, in order to redeem us from our rebellion against him, that God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to offer himself as a true sacrifice for our sin. That Jesus gave his life on the cross by his body which was broken for us and his blood which was spilled for us. He gave himself on the cross for us and on the third day, he rose again conquering sin and death. It's his provision for our sin. And then finally, my decision. That when I understand this truth, It's not enough just to know about it. It's not just enough to recognize it. It's not even enough just to intellectually agree with it. I've got to make a decision in my life to surrender myself, to give myself wholly to these things by placing my faith in Christ, and Christ alone for my salvation. His position, my condition, his provision, my decision. It's the heart of the gospel. Paul gives it to us in a sentence here where he says, God Father and the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. And then he says that I'm astonished that you would so quickly desert this truth. We need to recognize the lies. Secondly, we see here that we should reject false teachings. We've Rejecting false teachings is essential to believing in the heart of the gospel, recognizing the lies but also rejecting false teachings i'm sure you probably remember the uh, the movie uh, from years ago the, the Disney movie and the song that was that became so famous of, of uh, a spoon full of sugar helps the medicine go down right we 've all seen Mary Poppins probably and 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 heard that you know that iconic song a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. What we find that happens oftentimes today in our culture is that that these false gospels, these lies, are wrapped and packaged in such a way that they seem very attractive and very inviting, right? And, and like a spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down, Satan will will conceal his lies in in good packaging. He'll wrap it up nice and neat and make it look very attractive and very inviting and very pleasing. But the problem is in the end, it has a bitter taste and it always disappoints because they're lies. False gospels are, are built on a lie. And any gospel that that tells you that you need to add anything to the work of Christ in In this day and time, of course, it was following the Jewish law. We don't struggle with that today, of course. There's no one here, I would presume, that is really wrestling with, should I I follow the Jewish law in order to be saved? That decision was decided a long time ago, but nonetheless, we still wrestle against these false gospels that would lead us astray today. And as it's been put even in, in recent years, uh, by a guy named Tullian Chavidian, who is the grandson of Billy Graham who wrote a book a few years back that was called Jesus plus nothing equals everything and even as he points out in his book it's it's Jesus plus nothing else plus nothing else that will save us yet today we're we're tempted to this is Paul says to the Galatians we're tempted to turn aside to a different gospel what what does Paul say, though? He says that even if we or an angel of God himself would appear before you and preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. Not only are we to reject the, the one who is teaching, but we're to reject the teaching itself. And so anyone who is guilty of preaching a false gospel must be rejected along with their teaching we need to recognize, we need to identify false teachers, but we also need to understand false teaching. Now, I've shared this illustration before. I'm going to use it again because it's it's so good, and I think it I think it illustrates the heart of this matter so well. When I served on staff at Council Row Baptist Church in Oklahoma City as youth pastor, there was a gentleman in the church whose name was Mickey Maroney. Now. Actually, Mickey Maroney was uh, there before my tenure on staff. Uh, Mickey Maroney was killed in the Murrah bombing in April of 1995. Mickey Maroney was a U.S. Customs agent, and uh, the, the the story was sort of uh, iconic that uh, that he brought he taught the college Sunday school and at Council Road, and he brought to he brought to Sunday school once a stack of 100 dollar bills, a stack of 100 dollar bills. Many of them were counterfeit, counterfeit. one of them was authentic and genuine. And he told his college students, if you can pick out the authentic $100 bill from this stack of $100 bills, you can keep it, it's yours. And they went through it, and they sorted through the counterfeits, and no one picked out the authentic, the real, genuine article, the real deal. And Mickey Maroney told them the story of the way that U.S. Customs agents, workers in the Treasury Department, the way that they were trained to identify counterfeit money was not by studying all of the different all the different types of counterfeiting and not by studying all of the different ways that counterfeiters tried to manipulate or reproduce U.S. currency, but the way that they were trained was by studying the real thing, the authentic article. And so they knew every inch of U.S. currency. They knew every detail every to the minutia. They knew everything about our currency so that they could easily identify a counterfeit because of how well they knew the real thing. And that's exactly what Paul is pointing the Galatians to in this letter. That we would be so well versed in the heart of the gospel, that we would believe and trust and depend upon the the gospel itself so entirely for our faith, that when anyone would come along preaching a false gospel, giving us a false teaching, that we would be able to recognize it and that we would reject it. And so he says... That even if it's us, even if it's an angel of God who comes to you, someone that you trust, someone that you know, someone that you have a... Even if it's one of us who comes to you and preaches a gospel other than the true gospel that we gave you, he says, let them be accursed. Reject them. Reject their teaching. Today we need to do the same thing. That we would recognize false teachers, false gospels of our day. That we would recognize... Anyone in their teaching who would point us towards something other than faith in Jesus by grace, the gift of God, that we would recognize it. So, one of the tests of your belief, of course, as, as you're looking uh, in, uh, through this, is to ask yourself the question Does this lead me toward grace and peace, or does this lead me toward guilt? This is what I'm believing in, is what I'm trusting in. Does it lead me toward guilt, anxiety, worry, stress? Because the gospel, as we've already identified, always leads us to know God's grace and his peace. False teachers, though, would heap on us rules for us to follow, uh, systems that we have to prescribe to, things that we've got to do, and those things always lead toward stress anxiety, worry, am I doing enough? Have I done enough? Have I given enough? Have I contributed enough? I've not done enough. I've not given enough. I fall short. I'm not good enough. And if what you're believing in causes stress, worry, guilt, anxiety, then friend, you're not trusting in the gospel. You're trusting in something else. The gospel leads us to know God's peace in our hearts. And we've got to recognize what's true from what's false so that we can reject False teachings. And then finally, we see this. We've we've seen that Paul is pointing them to recognize the lies, to reject the false teachers, but also he he points them to remember the truth. He says in verse 10, am I seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul wants to be a a servant, a bond servant of Christ. He wants to He wants to serve Christ and he understands that the the truth is that Christ saved him just as he pointed us to verses 3, 4, that we are saved by grace alone. It's the will of God that he would save us in our sin and that anyone who's trusting in the the approval of man rather than the approval of God, anyone who 's looking to man and, and, and wanting to believe and follow the religions of man or the systems of man rather than believing in the Gospel of Jesus Christ has has placed their trust in a lie, and so we've, we must remember the truth. he says that there 's a gospel that 's pleasing to man and one that 's pleasing to God, and anyone who would believe in this gospel that is pleasing to man which he's also pointed out, is no gospel, really. It's not truly good news. Any, anything that would point us toward a man, another man, another person, another woman, another system, another something that we would believe in, anyone who would point us to that, that's, that's not truly good news in any way. And he says, so we, we reject these false teachings, these false truths, and we believe instead in the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that we have been saved by grace through faith, if we're going to recognize the lies, reject false teachings, remember the truth I have here in your notes, then we must constantly be reminded of the heart of the gospel. What Paul is pointing us to is that we would recognize what is counterfeit from what's genuine, that we would know what is true versus what is a lie, and that we would that we would be regularly reminded of the heart of the gospel, that we would build our lives around its truth. And the way that we stay committed to the heart of the gospel is by keeping it at the center of all that we do. And so regularly, I mean, I I try to do this each and every Sunday and, and each and every Wednesday and every time I stand before you that I'm pointing us back toward the foundational truth of the gospel. Now, one of the criticisms that has been uh, that has been lobbied against myself and others who follow this same practice over the years is enough of the gospel already. All right, we get it, right? Because there are some who mistakenly think that the gospel is like the ticket that you get that gets you into the club, and then there's something else, right? That it's like the doorway that you walk through. Now I'm here. Now I'm in. What else do you have for me? But the truth is that the gospel is it. There's, there's not something greater, something deeper, something more uh, necessary. Th- those who would say, well, I, you know, that teaching is just not deep enough. Uh, we, we, we got to go somewhere else, or we go over here because we find the teaching is just so much deeper and and so much better. And and, and all they ever do is they just go back again and again to the gospel. And listen. There is nothing else deeper, greater that we, we don't graduate and move on from the gospel as if there's something else that's more important than that. And so regularly, we need to be reminded of the gospel. We bring ourselves back to the gospel. We preach about the gospel. We sing about the gospel. We pray prayers guided by our understanding of the gospel. We teach lessons about the gospel. We pour the gospel in the hearts of our children. We call for people to respond to the gospel. We celebrate the work of the gospel in our lives. Why is that? Because the gospel is everything. It's the heart of who we are and the heart of what we do. And there's not something better or something deeper or something more special or something else that we're striving for here. This is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the heart, the heartbeat, I would say, of who we are as God's people. And may it always be at the heart of what we do. And if I ever stand in this pulpit and preach something else to you, or if anyone else ever stands in this pulpit and preaches a different truth to you, may they be accursed May you reject them and reject their teaching. Don't believe the lie because the gospel is everything for us, church. And it ought to always be at the heart of who we are and what we do. So there are many today who want to be impressed by something else, right? What does this Greek word mean and what is this and take us to this and lead us in this? Listen, I, I can... I can do that, and I I try to do that in ways where it's appropriate and it's good. I I have nothing against digging in deep, right? If you know me, and and you do, you know that that's the the truth. I I have nothing against studying and and mining the depths of God's truth that are revealed to us in his word, and and, and I have nothing against uh, trying to study and be great students of that truth. But some would do all of that because they're seeking something else, and I'm just here to say that it always leads us back to the heart of the gospel because there's not something else there for us. It's all about Jesus' work on the cross that he would save us from our sin. And anyone who wants to be impressed by something else is not looking to the gospel, they're looking to, they're looking to a false gospel. They're looking in, in the wrong direction and they will not find what they are looking for until they, they come back to the heart of the gospel. And so again and again and again, everything that we do points us back to this truth. And so we've seen as Paul is writing to the Galatians, he's, he's urging them to recognize the lies. He's urging them that they would reject these false teachings. He's urging them to remember, to remember the truth and when we do those things, it always leads us to respond to God's grace. Because when we really recognize the lies that pervade our culture today, when we really reject false teaching and remember the truth, the right response is always is always that we would, that we would cast ourselves on the mercy of God and that we would be overwhelmed by his grace, that we would respond to God's grace and his gift of love. And even today, We want to provide the opportunity that you would be able to respond to the free gift of God, which is salvation by faith through Jesus and nothing else. So, In just a moment, we're going to have a time of response where our pastors stand along the front here and and we we sing songs that point us back to the heart of the gospel and we offer this opportunity for folks to come and, and surrender their life to Christ. And from the reason we do that, is not because... We're, you know, the, the, there's some quota of numbers that we're trying to get to. It's not because we're, we're trying to impress the world with our stats. and, and, and the, the, Honestly, like we care nothing for that. I mean, we, we care about it in and as only as much as we want to see people's lives transformed. But there, there's, not a, there's not a quota. There's not a magic number that we're working toward. What we're working toward is that every person who hears this message would respond by faith to Jesus. And today we want to present you the opportunity every time the gospel is proclaimed there ought to be a call to respond and so even today we want to call on anyone and everyone who's here that you would respond to God's grace by surrendering your life to him you may say well i i don't have it all together i mean there's some things that i need to get right no see that's that's the lie that says you've got to get it together and then come to him he says Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't tell us to come to him once we've got you know, life put together. He says, come to me and I'll put your life together. Today, if you're ready to respond, then we want to offer you the opportunity that you would surrender your life to Jesus. And so in a moment, we'll, we'll do that in our invitation. And today you're here and you recognize, maybe there's, maybe there's been a, a false teaching, and, and maybe it was simple, and, and, and maybe it seemed innocent enough at the time, but it's, it's led you down a path of guilt and anxiety, shame, stress, and you recognize that it's a, it's a false hope that you've trusted in because it's not pointing to the grace of God, then today would you come and would you repent of that? Would you turn back toward Him? Would you receive His free gift of grace washing over you, forgiving you, cleansing you, redirecting your life that you might... Trust fully in his grace and nothing else. And so as we sing this song of faith in a moment, we're going to offer you the opportunity to respond. I want to ask that you would bow your head and that you would close your eyes with me. I want to pray even now that God would just, that he would speak to our hearts in this moment. That he would give us the courage, the boldness, To reject the truth, to reject the truth, that would be wrong. Don't do that. To reject the lies, to embrace his truth, that we would trust fully in Jesus and his grace alone.